Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply how does the offer of free beer sound to you As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with just that, free beer. Thanks to our friends at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free, exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to Beer52.com forward slash Chels. That's Beer, the word Beer, 52, the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash Chels and cover just four ninety five for the postage. What's more, Chell Show listeners get two extra free beers, so that's a total of ten beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, California, Finland and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in and you can leave any time. Your first box will be sent to you next day. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a cheeky snack is thrown in just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to beer52.com forward slash chels. That's the word beer and the numbers 5 and 2 dot com forward slash chels to get your first case of eight beers for free and don't forget the two extra ones they are unmissable that's beer52.com forward slash chels
Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Chels. Well, it's been another difficult old week. Oh, we knew there were going to be weeks like this, but we said that a couple of weeks ago, and here we are still in a week like this. Oh, to make sense of it all, I've only got the most reasonable man in Stamford Bridge. No, actually, it's Mr Andy Saunders. Hello, Andy. <laughs> How are you, mate? All right. I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, bearing up under the strain. You know, it's been, as you say, a difficult, um, well, it's certainly a difficult period in the league. Um, but, you know, in Frank we trust. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's got to be the crux of what we chat about. There, I mean, I'm sure we're going to go through it and say what we think was wrong and what you think was wrong and what I think was wrong. Um, but at the same time, we've got to temper everything and just remind ourselves that if we'd have been told that come Christmas time we'd be there or thereabouts in fourth spot, you probably would have bitten their hand off, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think we have to be reasonable about it. Um, we can be grumpy and uh, frustrated about losing four of the last five league games and having our fourth place uh, gap cut down. Uh, but as you quite rightly say, we would have taken fourth place uh, pretty much at Christmas or towards Christmas. So I think we have to put things in perspective and say there's been a bump in the road. Hopefully we can get over that bump, learn from those errors that we've been making and uh, and move forward positively yeah I, I guess the ugly point is that suddenly in fifth place is jose's tottenham hotspurs team yeah with their very very late winner yesterday and i think the 93rd minute do you know what i was actually thinking most of yesterday actually i can cope with this weekend with united dropping points and then arsenal you know ultimately getting, getting smashed started. yeah exactly <laughs> well Actually, it was a smashing, even though it was only 3-0. It's kind of the oddest smashing. It just seemed like City got bored. Yeah, well, they did them a favour by taking their foot off the gas, I think, in the second half. Yeah, they did. I mean, they got bigger fish to fry, you know. I mean, that's an odd thing in itself to say about a team like Arsenal with the history and how many problems they've caused us over the years. But, yeah, it's it's true. But, yeah. And we've got to play them before the end of the year, so I'm not counting any chickens, you know. it's It's... You know, we've seen already this season that those teams that we expect to beat have, have caused us problems. So anybody that's thinking, well, we're going to go to the Emirates and just, you know, turn Arsenal over, I, I think you've got to temper that a little bit and, and you know, not get too carried away and think that the worst thing really is a cornered rat. And, you know, when a team is down and desperate and fighting, that's, you know, sometimes the worst worst time to play them. So I'm not counting any chickens with Arsenal. Yeah, and I'd, I'd also say with Chelsea, and we'll, we'll get onto this subject throughout this this podcast. Um, going and playing Arsenal, where then they are on top form, is probably better for us than when they're struggling. We're not, we're I not, think so. We're not very good against struggling sides who, as you say, are cornered rats and, uh, and what have you. It, it seems to be difficult for us. But I, I guess we should go back earlier in the week because signs were there in the Lille game of what was to come this weekend and what had gone before. Um, the, the side against Lille, Lille basically put out a very understrength side and we thought, OK... This looks set up for a nice old evening. Was that how you viewed it? I never really think that, to be honest, Kerry. I think that, you know... Well, even when you go pub team and things. Well, (laughs) you know, I mean, obviously we should beat those teams 
There's no two ways about it. We should beat them. Whether we do beat them is another question whatsoever. Uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that Lille, yes, they put out an understrength team. Bournemouth had 11 injured players. Uh, so, you know, we've been here many, many times before. Just because teams look like pub teams or look like they've got lots of injuries doesn't mean that we can take them lightly. I think this season what we have done is gone into certain games with the wrong selections um, and the wrong setups, you know, thinking that we can just turn teams over uh, and that's come back and, bite and bitten us. Lille was a must-win game. I don't think we went into that game with anything but razor-sharp focus. And certainly in the first half, uh, we looked like we were going to absolutely destroy them and, and annihilate them. Uh, the problem was is that in the second half, we, it showed again that if we just lose concentration for a second, particularly at this level, and put ourselves in difficulty and you know it ended up being a very nervy game in the end when it didn't have to be. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think this is something that we've seen over the last few years and actually it's it's a recurring problem. We have a lack of ruthlessness. When we're really on top, it's not so often that, I mean, OK, we, we got a second goal against Lille. But when we are really dominating a side, we don't go for the fours and the fives. We, we, we seem to almost go, well, it's all right, we'll get another chance in a minute. And we sort of take things for granted. And um, I don't know whether that's the players, whether it's just coincidence, whether it's down to the managers, because it's a lot of these players and also... The interesting thing is Frank has played less youngsters over the last couple of weeks than, than say, he had earlier in the season. Um, so you can't even blame it on the callowness of youth. Uh, there is a, a problem within in the side that needs to be sorted out. We need somebody who goes, this isn't enough, let's go get another, and insists on finding that next goal, don't you think? Um, yeah, 100%. And I think that one of the problems is we're just not taking the chances. We are creating chances. We created chances against Lille. We created chances against Bournemouth. William had a, an amazing opportunity at the beginning of the second half against Lille where the ball fell to him and he hit it straight at the keeper. You know, we had a situation, in, uh, you know, when Emerson headed the ball straight at the keeper in, in the Bournemouth game. I mean, we are creating these clear-cut chances. We are just not killer in the box. And we need to be. We need to be if we're going to progress. You know, we, we dominated the game against uh, Lille uh, quite convincingly 65% possession uh, nine shots on target to their two shots on target I mean all the stats bear out the fact that we were the dominant side and you know being at the game you could see we were the dominant side but if you don't put the ball in the net don't take the chances when they're presented to you you always stand the opportunity of getting sucker punched yeah absolutely and it started off nicely because Tammy scored a, a proper striker's goal wasn't it it was a, a good clean clear chance in a six-yard box and you thought okay we're up and running yeah, uh, really good. Uh, you know, William did extremely well. Kante did extremely well in the build-up. And uh ball was slightly behind Tammy. And he was very calm and did his job and put it in the net. It was a tap-in, essentially. But, you know, he took it well. Um And it looked like, at that point, we would go on and, you know, comfortably uh control the game. And up popped Azpilicueta in the, I think, the 35th minute, uh 36th minute. And, you know, with a really good header from a from a set-piece, which is unusual in itself. And, um, you know, at half time he went in 2-0 up and thinking well this is going to be a stroll and when William had that chance early on in the second half 
you thought well we could you know we could certainly capitalize here but then it, it we just seemed to again once again uh, as i've been saying all season not be able to put two forty-five minutes of football together you know one really good half and one really average half that's been the story of the season it's interesting about the the two half thing because under Mourinho, especially the first time he used to talk about a 45 minute game that in a way you would get rid of the first half and in the second half you play uh, a different more expansive football now it's not as though these things are by by choice with this Chelsea side we literally cannot seem to play for 90 minutes yeah it's uh I I'm I'm struggling to figure out why I don't know if it's a lack of concentration or a uh, a lack of tactical tactical awareness I think part of it is game management and I think that's experience um how to manage a game I mean even at the at the end of both games we were still playing hell for leather football you know when when most of the crowd was saying take it into the corner just see the game out and yet we're still playing kamikaze football at the end and I think that there's an element of game management that Frank and his coaching staff have got to start to drill into the players that if you are winning a game or you are in a situation where you need to see time out there are ways to manage a game that don't involve trying to blast 11 players down the pitch you know, I know it's an exaggeration but we don't seem to be very good at controlling games at the tempo we want to control them at yeah I, th- I think that's that's an absolutely spot on sort of some uh, uh, assumption of it all it's a very odd situation to be a Chelsea fan at the moment because we don't just go let's run it into the corner let's get the clock counted down I mean that Valencia game was an absolute classic of that wasn't it at the end of the Valencia game we needed a draw that's what we needed to give ourselves a chance to uh, you know to beat Lille and, and go through to the knockout stages and at the end of that game it was kamikaze football and 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 Valencia could have easily sucker punched us at the end. They had a, a, a guilt edged opportunity which they missed. And it's under Mourinho or in the most of our recent managers, we would have just seen that game out. We would have played a possession game. We would have killed the time. We would have taken the ball into the into the corners. And under Frank, it was like let's just try and score another goal when we didn't really have to. And it's uh, I don't know. I found it puzzling and baffling to be honest. Yeah, but it it must come from the manager to an extent, but also from the players and the experienced players around. And there are enough experienced players in that side. You would think somebody would say, it's all right, just calm down. But nobody seems to be able to calm down. Well, it's interesting because obviously against Lille, we saw the return of Antonio Rudiger. Uh, which was great to see. Uh, it, it wasn't Lille weren't a particularly good team. He didn't have an awful lot to do in that game. Uh, their striker, Chelsea old boy Loic Remy, got fairly isolated in that game until, of course, he popped up and scored his goal. Uh, but you know, Rudiger coming back, you think would have um, put a little bit of discipline into the back four, and it did to a degree. He did see a, a little bit of leadership back there, and certainly against Bournemouth, you did as well. I thought, you know, if we're taking positives out of the two games this week um there were a couple of things i noticed that that had tightened up since uh since everton and and villa and and west ham and that run of games which was 
um, stopping those crosses coming in, which is something we talked about. That that seems to have been worked on, and and opposition teams, or certainly Lille and, and Bournemouth, are not whipping crosses in with two or three seconds to think about it. They're getting people out towards those uh, attacking players and closing that down a lot better. The defending from set pieces seems to be better. It's been getting better all season. It's not wholly zonal like it was before. It's becoming a lot more um, zonal and man-to-man. And they seem to be figuring that out. We don't look so vulnerable from set pieces. Although I have to say Kepper still looks vulnerable because he's not coming for anything. He's not punching anything. It's, he's leaving it up to the defender. So that's a worry and needs working on. But there are little things that are being tweaked. It's not as if... There's no progress whatsoever. It's just glacially slow at the moment. That you know that these things are not happening quickly enough for me. I think that that Lampard is seeing seeing what's going on. He's trying to deal with it. He's trying to coach it. But you know the big picture stuff, things like game management, that doesn't seem to be in his thinking at the moment. And I, and I really wish it was. Yeah, well, I think also we have to remember, as you said, that Frank himself is learning and he's learning about a much higher level. Okay, not being disrespectful disrespectful to Derby, but that was a very different kettle of fish, taught him some great things about management. But suddenly here you are in the top four of the Premier League and you're fighting in the Champions League. It's a different different game and I know he's been through it as a player but as a manager I remember hearing him in an interview the other week and he was saying he really didn't quite understand how much work the manager has to do when he's not even got players around him that he has to get in early do all sorts of things I had that I mean I had that conversation with him man to man I met him at an event and you know we had that conversation he was telling me that he was slightly this is before he'd even taken the Chelsea job he was still at Derby and he was saying that he found the whole management thing a little bit overwhelming because as a player everything is done for you and you you go home at a particular time as a manager you're you're having to do everything and learn everything and and there's no textbook you know you're just having to either learn from the experience you've had with previous managers yourself as a player um, or, or pick it up as you go along and within that develop your own voice and develop your own style and, and the whole thing is you know w- was a bit overwhelming from that stage so listen I started this podcast by saying in Frank we trust and I tro- totally believe that I got a little bit of flack over the weekend for, for calling out the performance against Bournemouth but I, I think we can do that I think we can call out the performance I, I don't think there's anything wrong with 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 you know, being frustrated with the overall performance. Nobody's blaming Frank or blaming individual players or, or laying the blame at you know, any particular door. I think it's perfectly fine to say it was a fairly shambolic and, and I think, embarrassing performance you know, against a team with that many injuries um, you know, uh, of the level that Bournemouth are. You know, and, and the second half of the second half performance against Lille, not so embarrassing, but still you know again baffling why are we playing like that so there is lots to learn i'm not losing faith in frank lampard but i want to see progress i want to see it keep moving forward and not keep making the same mistakes okay so here's here's a um an interesting thought that i had and you'll either shoot me down in flames just say it's coincidence or whatever but we were going along swimmingly well and then kante became fit again and he brought Kante back Mason Mount dropped to the bench and it was Kante Kovacic and Jorginho lose the game 
Then the next game, it's Jorginho, where he sits out the next two games, and it's Mason Mount, Kante, and Kovacic. And then at the weekend, it's suddenly, it's Kovacic who drops to the bench, and it's Jorginho, Kante, and Mount. And the one person that stayed constant all the time has been Kante. Do you think at the moment he's trying to put Kante into the side because he believes he has to, and actually is going against his... Uh, meritocracy system and that this midfield is actually causing unrest amongst the rest of the side mm, I think it's a big question to answer you know in a in a couple of sentences I think Kante is slightly in the team on reputation at the moment I genuinely do I don't think he's been nine out of ten Kante since he came back from injury I think he's been six or seven out of ten Kante but I will say this he was along with Azpilicueta man of the match I thought against uh, Lille I thought he was utterly fabulous but that's Lille you know that's a team that you know that that was easy to get in and about in midfield um but I thought he was very good in that game um I don't think that Kanto should be untouchable I don't believe any player should be untouchable I've never believed in the untouchables theory I think you pick players on on form and performance and you know and you pick formations to match the team that you're playing Kante hasn't been great in a lot of the games. don't think he was particularly great against Bournemouth. Um, and I've always said that, for me, Jorginho's got to start. He has to start for what he, for what he gives to the transition out of, out of defence. You know, I'm getting boring about this. But for me, you, know, you watch those games. You watch the games that Jorginho plays in. He drops, he picks the ball up. We don't have those silly errors when Jorginho plays because Jorginho can play the ball out of defence better than anybody else. And he's worth being in the team for that. Kante was getting bypassed in, in recent games. He wasn't affecting the game either offensively or defensively. There is a question to say, what are you? What, what's your role? And maybe the the fault in that is Kante not having a clear enough role, uh, and Frank not figuring out where Kante fits in Frank's system, perhaps as clearly as he should at the moment. To answer your question, I don't know. I don't know what we do with a problem like Kante. Kante's the best player in our team. There's no two ways about it. On his day, he is clearly the best player, if not in the team, in the Premier League. So we have to find a way to make him tick again. At the moment, he's not ticking like he should. Well, I think it's it's a it's an interesting discussion, you know, and it's not born out of anything other than concern because it was going very well, the whole system, and now it seems to have changed. And the one area which was feeling a little bit like a Rolls-Royce up until five games ago was the midfield. It was just purring away, and it was doing its job. Um, and I, th- I think you, you actually said something quite interesting there in the fact that where does Frank actually play him? Because at the moment, he's not playing in the same way that he was, say, under Sarri, when he was much further forward. Mm. And he's not playing in his older position, right back in front of the defence, able to feed and move forward. He's sort of in a, in a sort of a halfway house for me. He's um, playing a sort of box-to-box role at the moment, and I'm not sure that necessarily is his strength I think he can do it I think he's has the engine to be a box-to-box player but I, I think that he's much more effective when he's given a very very specific task I think like Michael Essien um, or Claude McAuley I think when they were given a really really specific task they excelled at it if you give someone like Kante a f- too free a role I think you lose some of his strengths 
I think I think he works on discipline. And I think, I think he does. I think he's a soldier. And I think that's what's so good about him. He's a selfless player. Uh, and so he doesn't need a free role. He's boss. Tell me what I need to do. And I don't think perhaps that the coaching staff have really outlined the specific role that they want N'Golo Kante to play at the moment. And maybe there's a little bit of unrest in Kante's camp because for the first time ever... I read a story about how apparently he wants to go to PSG, which he's never, ever really been... Don't don't believe any of that. No, I know, I don't, but it's very rare that you get a story about Kante that supposedly... Honestly, it's all a load of nonsense. Of course it is. Ignore it. I know, but it it was just interesting because normally he comes out and says something about he loves his car and he loves where he lives. Um, it's, It's, you know, I mean, in some ways... Maybe being devil's advocate. You're not going to waste any time talking about some spurious press story about Angolo Kante. I cannot you believe for a second. I cannot believe that for a second Angolo Kante would be in any way unprofessional enough to say something like that. Genuinely, genuinely wouldn't believe that he. No, would. I don't believe he. I said think it, if he goes, he will go. You know, but and, and people speculating. I'm really not interested. No, I mean, I think it's an interesting discussion in the fact that would you take 85 or 100 million quid for him if somebody no, came in for him? No, because 9 out of 10 Kante, or 10 out of 10 Kante, is the best player in the Premier League. Why would you do that? Problem is, he's not that at the moment, and, and for the reasons I've said, in that I don't think he has a specific enough role um, in that team, that, that he's not. But he will be. And, I, you know, again, in Frank we trust. Frank will find a way to work with him. And I think Kante is enjoying being part of a for want of using a cliche, a project at the moment. And, you know, going going and being a highly paid mercenary at a team like PSG or, or Real Madrid, I, I don't know. I'm not going to speak for N'Golo Kante. I get the sense that he likes being part of a project, that Chelsea have been good to him, that he likes Chelsea, that he enjoys living in London. All the stuff that, you know, that, that you, know, you aggregate over what he said in the interviews you've seen with him, I see no evidence of him being unhappy. I maybe see some evidence of him not being completely fit at the moment um or not fitting into a particular system but that's rectifiable yeah and i i would also say that's an extremely valid point the fact that he's just come off the back of not just one but two or is it three injuries well kept coming back too early and getting re-injured and i think that 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 probably doesn't mess with your mental health a little bit when you're not quite trusting it and thinking that it's going to go again and i think that was poor management bringing him back too early um and we eventually got it right but we've got to allow him to get fully fit and motoring again because he looked off particularly in the second half against bournemouth looked off the pace a little bit wasn't charging people down wasn't you know wasn't beating people you know in a foot race like he used to so i think there's there's signs of concern there but i don't think it's about his attitude i think it's about his fitness and his role okay the 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 last point i'd like to talk about in relation to leal before we go to our commercial break um callum hudson adoy something has gone horribly wrong with him now again Mm. he's had a terrible injury he's come back Mm. he got in the side Pulisic then overtook him, got back in the side. Every time Callum's come on, he plays the ball to the opposition. He tries to do too much. And there was a, a moment in just outside our own penalty area against Lille where he tried to you know, dribble past somebody and got the ball taken off him straight away. It almost looks as though he's got no confidence but is desperate to impress the manager. What do I you think, think that's the right reading. Yeah, I, I think he's got the heebie-jeebies at the moment. He doesn't look like a confident 
swaggering player. Where's his swagger gone? You know, this was a player that would come on the pitch, you know, with a sort of dead-eyed focus of, I'm going to shred you. I'm going to rip you to pieces. And he comes on and he looks timid and he looks uh, slightly wary. Um, He's not taking people on with the same verve that he was before. He still got a great touch. He was still, you know, in tight areas, proving that he's got, you know, real ability in that situation. But in the big areas of responsibility, shooting, dribbling, running hard at players, it looks like his nerve has gone a little bit. And I wonder if he needs an arm around his shoulder or he needs some level of man management from Frank Lampard to say, stop putting too much pressure on yourself. You know, you're a young man. You're here for the next, you know, however many years your contract's been signed for, five years. We're going to look after you. You're going to be the future of Chelsea Football Club. Stop putting yourself under pressure because it's affecting your game. Just go out there and be the best Callum hudson Adore you can be. And also, you know, with, with people like Jodie Morris and Joe Edwards there who've, who've looked after these kids, you know, from when they were real kids, um, there, there must be something they need to, to get involved with. Um, OK, look, it's all new for all of them in the positions they're in. So maybe they're all having to you mm. know, fight an awful lot of battles in every direction because we never know what kind of mental strain you come under until you're under the, the pressure of a new situation. I think it's mental with with Callum Hudson-Odoi. Look, he came last season, he came out and he played in the Europa League against a bunch of, you know, we always use the expression, against a bunch of pub teams. He would come on as a substitute, rip them to pieces from 70 minutes onwards, bang in a couple of late goals, and we were like, this kid is the new messiah. And then he comes in and starts playing regularly in the Premier League, and, you know, he makes an impact, but... You know, after time, a couple of poor performances seem to have got inside his head and with Pulisic breathing down his neck, which I don't think he expected, you know, I think he expected to be a starter. You know, maybe he's starting to question and doubt himself, you know, and I think that that's an issue. I think it's a mental issue and that that's going to that's where the man management skills of Frank Lampard and his team are going to come in to really start to build up. Callum Hudson-Odoi's confidence so that he can go out there and shred teams like we know he can. Yeah, no, I I think it's a fair point. I think it's only a matter of time for him to regain his confidence, regain his touch. He puts two games together, scores a couple of goals, scores a worldie, you know, has the crowd backing him, and, and, and I think things will really start to fall in place again. He's just been on a bit of a, you know, losing the ball, you know, falling over himself, shooting, you know, hitting the corner flag. He's just ha- he's going through one of those periods, which I think to a degree all young players do. No, I think you're right. Anyway, right, well, that covers Leal, so let's go to a commercial break. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbott, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours. And we're back. So Andy, after the the glorious night of beating such a mighty side as Lille, it was all set up for a 
getting ourselves back on track in the Premiership against Bournemouth. No hopers, 200 injuries or something. No one could play. Probably goalkeepers were being going to be rush goalies. It was looking as though it's going to be such a nice old easy afternoon. But it wasn't like that, was it? Well, I think we have to look at the fact that since they were promoted to the Premier League in 2015, no side has won more top-flight away games against Chelsea than Bournemouth. You know, they are a bit of a bogey side for us at Stamford Bridge. Um, I genuinely thought it would be reasonably straightforward just looking at their injury list. You know, three of their top players were injured. Callum Wilson, Harry Wilson and Nathan Ake were all injured, as well as, I think, eight other first team or first team squad players so looking at that you'd think well this is going to be a fairly chonky makeshift Bournemouth team we're in good shape we're coming off the back of a win against Lille we should be able to do enough and, and create enough because we can create stuff uh, you know to, to, to win this game especially off the back of some poor performances against West Ham and Everton and Man City so it's um, you know it was a bit of a shock to see us looking timid and uh, fretful and playing an almost Sarri-like game with a, you know, as Frank Lampard himself said, you know, centre-back to centre-back to full-back to centre-back with no real incision. I know they played a narrow formation. I know they played compact. I know they, they did the two banks of four things. I know it's difficult to break sides down, but I was shocked at how few ideas we had and how much lacking in confidence we were in that situation. Yeah, and I, I would say this is a, a recurrent problem again when we were talking in, in the first half of the pod that we are seeing history repeating itself. A, not only because it's a bogey side in Bournemouth, but B, this inability to break sides down when they come to the bridge and go, we're going to put everyone behind the ball. We're going to see how it goes. If we keep staying at nil-nil, just maybe we'll get one chance and we'll put it away at, towards the end of the game. And that's exactly how it panned out. You know, they, they came and parked the bus, as Jose always used to call it, but they stuck to their task. They did it very diligently. But we couldn't find that great creative spark. And what worries me the most about that partnership between Zuma and Rudiger, yeah, they might be able to defend. But Frank is asking both of them to do something that seems to be quite unnatural, which is to come forward, bring the ball out and ping these these passes 40 yards. Rudiger did his first one cross field pass, hit the man, hit Pulisic in the first few minutes. We didn't do it again. Every single one of them, from Zuma or Rudiger, went sailing out into the crowd. Um, should he be looking at the players he's got and playing a system and a way that suits the players he's got, rather than asking people to do something that may not be completely natural? Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think that... Yeah, we didn't execute didn't execute that strategy very well. I didn't think it was a particularly good strategy against a team like Bournemouth. You know, you've got people like Billings in the middle who are six foot six or something. You know, yeah. those those aerial balls, they're always going to beat us aerially. We're not a tall side. Our strengths are moving the ball quickly at pace forward and running at at the defence, you know, and, and and getting men forward and and creating quick passing moves. We did none of that. We did none of that. We were slow. We were turgid. We were sloppy in possession. I thought Kovacic was a huge miss. I wouldn't have played Mason Mount. I would have played Kovacic. Dropping, you know, potentially our player of the year uh, for a league game, you know, after a sequence of uh, of games uh, that we've had, I just thought was an error. I, w- I, I just think you should have had Kovacic on the, on the pitch just to give you that forward momentum. I know that Mount is... 
you know, a really good player. I know that he can bring an awful lot to the team. He's got to use the right players in the right games. Um, and I just think in tight situations with teams where you have to break teams down, you have to move the ball quickly, Kovacic was a much better uh, option than Mason Mount, who I think is is better when you're playing against teams that want to play football against you. So, I, 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 you know, and I might be overstating the case there, and, and, and I don't think it's necessarily binary, but I do think that I would have liked to have seen Kovacic start there. It was good to see Rudiger start again. Actually, there's been, you know, a fair amount of criticism of Kurt Zuma, but maybe I was watching another uh, another football match because I thought Kurt Zuma had a shout for man of the match. His recovery challenges were brilliant i thought he saved us on two at least two occasions i thought he was pretty solid next to uh, to, to rudiger i think it's worrying when defenders are man a men of the match certainly against teams like bournemouth but i can't see another player on the pitch to rival him for impact on the game can you no i and that's what i was trying to my point about zuma and rudiger is they're fantastic defenders and i thought they both played well when they had to defend they i mean there was one tackle from zuma which was out of this world yeah. you know recovery one i've got absolutely no problem with them as a pairing although from what you can gather zuma doesn't like playing on the left hand side but my point was when they're having to come forward and play these beautiful libero passes like yeah, a rude bullet like it, it like doesn't that. suit them and it, and it must help must knock their confidence as well um so yeah I, I i'm not sure that's how frank wanted them to play because he was quite vocal and quite hard-hitting in his post-match interviews when he talked about that was not what I set out to do okay. you know he talked about if he was a fan he would have been quiet he said you know we kind of needed the fans today but I don't blame I don't blame them because if I was a fan sitting there I wouldn't want to watch that that kind of turgid side-to-side football you know he said that and I think he wants them to go and play a little bit more uh, risky that's probably the wrong word ambitious is probably the right word more ambitious football moving forward I don't think that means massive long diagonal passes um, and I don't think it means side to side football I think it means play through the channels movement move off the ball get forward and, and none of that was happening so I got the sense that he was deeply frustrated by it yeah I, I agree and I, I, I it was one of the first times I've really felt sorry for Tammy who just plowed a lone furrow and, and nobody came along and supported him he, he was distanced from the midfield it, it really didn't work for him and no he got massively isolated you can't blame him in, in games like that when, when he gets isolated you know he, he um, did everything he, he could do but he, you know I thought Pulisic was incredibly quiet he seemed to disappear out on the wing William was making a, you know was, was doing good energy tempo work but his decision making was old school William you know I don't want to pick out individual players I'm just saying as part of the performance certain senior players um, you know I thought Kante was average I thought Jorginho was good you know Jorginho played well um, I thought Mount was fairly invisible um, you know Rudiger and Zuma did what they did I thought you know Emerson Emerson had chances again that he didn't take the header that Emerson had you know, which all he had to do was hit it either side of the goalkeeper and hit it straight at the keeper. You know, that's the that's the margins that we're operating with. If he'd have put that in, we would have said that was a hard fought professional game and we got the result. Yeah. You know, that's what we would have said at the end of it. It was boring and it was dull. I think the first half was the dullest first half I've seen for, for a very, very long time. I'm surprised that people were still awake after that first half. It was so boring. Um, but, you know, I'll take boring if we win. I'm all about the points. The fact is, if it's boring and we don't win, then I've got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> then you've got a problem because that was boring and we didn't win. It didn't um, win. I mean, weren't you bored? Yeah, I was. It, it was awful because it, it, there was just no tempo. It, yeah. it and was... I'm not saying I don't want to be one of these supporters. I want sparkly football every week. Look, I'm not interested. Give me boring every week. Week in, one out. You know, one nil wins. I don't care as long as we win. It's all about the points. I'm all about the points. But don't give me boring and lose. You know, no. because that that I don't think <laughs> nobody wants that. Look, I, I don't I don't mind us grinding out wins. I want to see some lovely football like we've seen but there are when needs a, must needs it's a byproduct must. isn't it it's, yeah, of course. It's, it's 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 a bonus i think if we see lovely football you know the the object of premier league football is to win the game and the game at this weekend was not about lovely football it was just finding a way through somebody yeah. to make that run somebody yeah. to see that run and somebody to put the ball in the net is that too much to ask mm. but you know so so and bit. also as well why why is william still taking corners uh, I don't, don't, please. I thought I'd try and avoid this subject. About no, I don't, I don't think you can avoid it. I think you've uh, got to stand up and look it straight in the eye. <laughs> Why is William still taking corners when you have Canter, uh, when you have Mount on the pitch? Emerson takes a decent corner. Um, you've got Pulisic, presumably can take a decent corner. You've got, you know, you've got other players on the pitch that can, that can take corners. Why is he grabbing the ball and insisting on taking corners and set pieces? It, you know, that is something that Frank has to sort out. If you can't beat the first man, then you shouldn't be taking corners. And the percentage of William hitting the first man is unacceptable. Yeah, I agree. That first man thing. And this is a problem that's gone on for a long, long time. This isn't just something that's happened this year. No. This is, we ha- I would love to see the percentages of amount of Chelsea corners that hit the first man. I don't, I don't think you would like to see that percentage. <laughs> I think that the other thing as well is there is an argument to say, and I think it's a valid argument, that, that hitting the ball to the near post and getting the flick on or, or attacking the ball at the near post is a very effective policy at corners. It's proven statistically that you know, if you can if you can get the ball to the near post and somebody runs across and either you know heads it goalwards or heads it back or, or, or creates something from the near post, Heading, heading the ball on from the near post causes chaos and so it's not a bad strategy the point is it's executed so badly time and time again if that is the strategy I mean I'm not a one for just put it in the mixer every time because that's normally easy for any decent goalkeeper to come and pluck it out the air you know particularly if it's an in-swinging corner but you know either vary it up or execute it properly that's my point yeah um the other point was with their goal where where I was sitting in the Matthew Harding uh the the flag went up very very early before the ball had even got yeah. to to Gosling. Now surely players see a flag go up. That must be equivalent to when the referee blows his whistle. No matter what happens, if that's gone up and it's flagged as definitely offside, surely everyone does stop and things have to be taken back, like a referee blowing a whistle. Well, For- it, need, it needs to be sorted out because I I thought the directive was that you would carry on playing in tight situations and then sort it out with VAR. That's what VAR was for. I, I thought that was the directive, you know, you that, see, that actually I- you would keep it going. So I yeah, but I thought the directive was that the linesman does not put his flag That's up. That's what I mean. That's what yeah. I said. Yeah. But what I'm saying is if the flag goes up, everyone goes, Oh, the flag's up. That's what mm. you see. Your reaction, no matter if it's a new rule, old rule, whatever, you see a flag go up, you stop. Because well, that is I will say this. I was in the West Anla. I wasn't too far away. I'm sort of in between the edge of the eighteen yard box and the halfway line. Uh, at, at the goal at the end where the goal was scored. And um both my sons who were sitting next to me both said he's not offside. They both saw that the guy that looked offside was not the guy the guy that scored the goal. They both called it. 
um, straight away. And, and I didn't, I was like, he's offside, right? He's a mile offside. And they were like, and they said it, he's not offside. And, and then obviously the ball didn't look like it crossed the line, to be honest, but obviously must have buzzed on the referee's wrist. And then it was just a case of whether he was offside. And they were both adamant. They said, he's not offside. So, you know, and it happened pretty quickly. So I don't think you can use the flag as an excuse. I think nobody tracked the runner. That's the problem. Nobody yeah. tracked him. Nobody tracked Gosling. And, uh, you know, and he, and he was able to just slide through and do it. I mean, the problem with, you know, with the, you know, we didn't talk about the Remy goal. You know, oh, ironic, yes. isn't it, that Loic Remy was, <laughs> you know, was fit for them when he was never fit for us. Uh, but, you know, everybody ran to the goal line. Nobody, yeah. and he was on his own on the penalty spot. It was ludicrous defending. You know, this is the, this is what I mean about the mistakes week in, week out, about tracking runners and about not picking up players. You know, the, in, in those two games, that's where the goals came from. Um, you know, and if you've got a player running free and just running basically from midfield through, everybody's concentrating on the goal that's offside, the player that's offside, not picking up the runner. And he goes through and, you know, and they get a little bit of fortune, a little bit of luck. But, you know, goal's a goal. And we were done by it. And that's three points lost. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's go to our man at the ground, Mr. Nizar Kinsella, who uh, gave us this little report from a somewhat depressed Stamford Bridge. Hi, guys. This is Nizar Kinsella, Gold.com's Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea. Um, I was at Stamford Bridge, like many Chelsea fans, uh, and it was a cold, bleak night. Uh, and that's that was uh, just the weather. I mean, the performance, yeah, uh, it, was, it was terrible and, and way below what Chelsea would have expected. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, looking at looking at what the game means for Chelsea, um, it means you know four defeats in five games, and uh, you know there must be there must be signs of worry now. Um, you know, looking behind the scenes and looking at at the players after the game, Tammy Abraham. Um, congratulated Dominic Solanke, the ex-Chelsea Academy graduate, um, but then dropped to his knees. Um, he's definitely somebody who wears his heart to his heart on his sleeve, Tammy Abraham, and uh, that was a you know a noticeable uh, moment. You know after Bournemouth's late winner. Um, but you know it wasn't a sense of uh, you know frustration that Chelsea were robbed. Um, I think it was more a sense of that was just so disappointing uh, as a performance as a group. Um, you know Chelsea needs to be better than that. Um, Frank Lampard as well talking to him after the game. Um, he already identified a lot of problems that were that were happening at Chelsea, and I think a lot of them were of Chelsea's own making in his mind. It's not a case of yes, okay, Bournemouth came and stopped them playing, but. Um, there was also a case of uh, Chelsea playing into Bournemouth's hands. Uh, you know, the use of possession was something that Lampard particularly was upset with. The way uh, Kurt Zuma and uh, Rudiger were constantly on the ball in the game, but um, they they gave the ball away very cheaply on many occasions and couldn't find midfielders. And the likes of Mount uh, and Kante didn't get on the ball enough. And I think that was something that Lampard uh, was really identifying was that yeah. They had a lot of the, the ball, but it was all with the centre backs, and those crossfield balls that went straight out of play was something that um, was a particular worry for Chelsea. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my vibe with it. I think that Chelsea were frustrated, but you know, the the good thing is, I guess, that they shouldn't panic too much because they did, they they were their own worst enemies, and I think that that was my. Uh, you know, primary message. I think that's what be, will be being worked on ahead of Tottenham uh, next week. Well, I think that sums it all up, Andy, really. Uh, no need to dwell on it. We need to move on, and move on we must. And, uh, well, today we got the Champions League draw, uh, and 
It's a revisitation for us. It's by Munich. Uh, how did you feel when that one came out? Yeah, happy with that. I've said all along that there's no point us, you know, looking for for easy games at this stage. I suppose the the easy in in inverted commas game was RP Leipzig, RB as Leipzig, uh, which Liverpool got. But I don't think they're easy at all. So I would rather play um, a big. No, uh, Liverpool opponent. have got Atletico. Oh, they got. So who's got Leipzig? Tottenham. Oh, Tottenham got that. Yeah, I knew one of the other English teams. They'll lose to them. They'll yeah, lose. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're a decent team. Um, so there were a lot of difficult games. Coming, you know, coming second in the group didn't help. So we were our own worst enemies on that one. So we, we were always going to get a fairly big team. I'm happy. Listen, you know, Bayern Munich, it's, uh, you know, it's always going to be an, an iconic team for us, isn't it, after 2012? We'll beat them then and we can beat them now. They, I mean, they're on a terrible run at the moment. They're fifth in the Bundesliga. I mean, they had a good win at the weekend. I think they put six past one of the lower teams but you know they're they're fifth um you'd certainly not the Bayern Munich or, of your um you know they, they're still dangerous I think they'll be very dangerous at the Allianz in in Munich um the problem I think we've got or the challenge we've got when they come to the bridge because obviously we play the first leg first I think it's on the 25th is it or the yeah uh 25th of Feb um is that they uh is keeping a clean sheet that's that. That's the issue. You know, if they, you know, if we if we can keep a clean sheet and then go away there and 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 you know and score score an away goal, then I think we're in with a shout. But I'm just I'm just worried about our defence. That's the problem. But you know, I'm, I'm to answer your question, I'm pleased that we've got them. Yeah, and to be fair, who knows what side will be or what side they'll be come February? You know, there's there's a transfer window to get through. There's form will change, so we'll just have to see. But yeah, but as I said to you earlier, you know, the transfer window is a, a misnomer because anybody decent that we buy in the transfer window is not going to be eligible for the Champions League. Well, there's there's a few. De- oh, yeah, look, we'll just have to but see. You see my point, right? Yeah, I don't yeah think of course. We can, I don't think you can rely on 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 transfers in January. I think we, we're going to essentially be the, the same squad. Hopefully, that we can sort some of the issues out we've got defensively out and go on to put some you know put some some decent results together over Christmas and the New Year and, and go into that game with a bit of confidence because I genuinely think we can beat them. It's whether we can you know beat them over the two legs. Yeah, well, let's see. All right, well, coming up this weekend, um, just what you need after a run like this, and maybe this is actually just what we need. It's uh, Jose and Tottenham at Tottenham. It's such a, it's still such a weird combination, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sort of over it now. It is what it is. Yeah, it's just weird though. It, you know, it's it's. Look, he's already. I don't had want to dwell effect. on Jose and Tottenham again. It is. It is. No, you know, no, no. It, it is what it is. But he's already had an effect on that team. He's managed to get them to win a few games. Um, yeah, you know. I suppose they were pretty dreadful yesterday. Yeah, they were, but they were getting a result which they wouldn't have done maybe a month ago, yeah, or maybe. six weeks ago. Maybe. So uh, it's a, it's always a tough game, Tottenham. It's another one of those games where form goes out the window. It's it's Tottenham versus Chelsea. It has something about it. It's usually quite edgy it's pretty much a a difficult game these days how do you see that one panning out well I don't think Tottenham want to play us I mean I don't I don't think there's any level of cockiness about them about playing us I don't think they're going they're going into it thinking they're the favourites I think you know that we know that Tottenham have got a a, a weak underbelly and 
we know that going forward we will cause problems and they are not going to do two banks of four against us they'll try and play football against us I know it's Jose I know he likes to you know suck games up and hit teams on the counter I don't think Tottenham are the type of team the type of players to necessarily do it in the same way that say a Bournemouth or a West Ham would I think that it's going to be a more open game of football and that will suit us better suit us better than recent games and if we can go there and convert the chances that we'll create and be just a little bit more intelligent strategically at the back I think we've got a very good chance yeah I I think it's a really valid point the fact that I think when you play the bigger sides the sides that don't worry about oh let's try and get a draw first and then maybe nick a win the sides who actually have footballers that suits us because then we can play them I mean you look at a a large extent of the game against man city Mm. we get an opportunity to play football and And, and they're and they're at home remember so they're not they they will they will want to play on the front foot this the reason that we've got a better away record than a home record at the moment is because we're playing teams that are at home and play on the front foot because they're at home they come to us and they play counter-attacking football and we're finding it very difficult to break them down and to convert the chances that we do create and then they're getting hit on the counter you know when we go away we're playing essentially as the away side I mean I know that's obvious but we're, we're having to play slightly on the on the back foot in a more open game and that's allowing us to to create more chances and, and to get in and amongst them a little bit more than when they come to the bridge No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right I think, it, I think it's going to be a fascinating game um, I tell so, you, I'm, look, I'm going I'm going to the game, I'm looking forward to it and it's, it's uh, you know, it'll either be one of those ones where you trudge back up the seven, you know, the, the, the Tottenham High Road to Seven Sisters Tube afterwards completely miserable, or you know, where you try and keep the smile off your face because there's nothing like beating Tottenham away, it's great no, exactly. So we'll have to have a unless it's uh, Liverpool at Anfield, obviously. But you know, but Tottenham away is a great one because you know it's a pain in the ass to get to Tottenham. Um, but you know, if you if you walk up after the game that mile or so up to Seven Sister Two afterwards, it can be a lonely and miserable walk. Um, if you walk up, you know, after you've won, it, it takes you seconds. You know, you're walking on air. So you know, hopefully we can go there and and put the kind of performance together over two halves that I know that we're capable of. Well, it sounds good to me, and you know, fortunes have to change at some point, so why not this weekend? All right, so what's your prediction for, for the weekend? <sighs> Look, it's such a difficult one. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know all predictions are fairly pointless anyway. I, I do think we're going to win. I do. I think it's going to be bum squeakingly tight. I think it'll be, I think it'll be 2-1. I think we'll, we'll win 2-1. Okay, that sounds good to me. I think we are going to nick it by one goal to nil. I think we're going to keep a clean sheet. I I I, th- I just get this feeling. So we'll see. All right. Well, look, Andy, we're we're out of time. Um, that's discussed everything. Um, so we'll be back next week, just before Christmas, uh, and then we'll be full of, hopefully, Christmas cheer. And let's not forget, everybody, first of all, thank you, Andy, for tonight, as usual. My and, pleasure. And let's not forget, we're still fourth. We are. We're still fourth. Champions League, knockout stages and fourth. We would have taken this at this stage of the season if you'd have asked us in, in May. Exactly. All right, mate. See you next week. Cheers. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.